And for the rest of us, would you turn in your Bibles with me to uh, the book of Hebrews, chapter 4. Hebrews, chapter 4. I will admit that as, uh, as we read this section, it's going to sound a little confusing in some parts. So I'm, I'm hoping that we can trudge through this and, and see why the Holy Spirit put this in this book for us and why we're reading it 2,000 years later. Hebrews chapter 4, I entitled the message, Restless Until We Rest in You. Maybe you'll pick up the reason why today. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us, just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we have believed entering that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in a way as God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in the passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David, so long afterwards, in the words that are already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden his heart. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would have not have spoken of another day. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever enters God's rest has rested from his work, and God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by some sort of disobedience. Would you pray with me? Well, this morning, Lord, as we uh, open this passage of Scripture, it's... Um, a little confusing in places, so we, we ask your Holy Spirit to, to help us to understand what it is that he has for us, what he wants to teach us. Lord, there is a reason why you gave us this passage. There's a reason why we're preaching from it this morning. So I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be pleasing to you. I pray that the words that come out would be your words, Lord. And if they are your words, I pray that hearers here would not hear and be hardened, but hear and be obedient. Hear and have faith. So, Lord, I pray that you would fill us with your spirit, help us to see your son in all his glory, and help us to become more and more like him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, um, yesterday, um, we were wrestling my son and I were wrestling in the house and uh, I guess it's a boy thing right and my daughter was sitting there saying oh be careful be careful be careful it's like uh, we do this all the time and my son started this thing and he said that um, I want to do this faith fall daddy it's like faith fall what's a faith fall and so what he did was he turned his back to me he crossed his arms and he says catch me dad I almost thought about letting him go. <laughs> All right, terrible dad, terrible dad. So I stopped him. And he did it again, and he did it again. And I guess in some ways, 
that's kind of like the theme of this passage. It's kind of like a faith fall. That you turn around and you put your faith in the one that's going to catch you. That my son needed to, was going to fall back because he trusted that I was going to be able to, had the ability to stop him and I had the willingness to stop and to help him. One sustaining principle that you probably heard as we went through this is that there is a place where there is no rest for certain people. And what I think we're going to find by the end of this message is that the, the key theme is this, that there is no rest ultimately for those that are outside of Christ. That there is a restlessness that happens in this world for those that don't know Christ as their Lord and Savior. Uh, in the... Um, 300s, I believe, I could be wrong, um, there was a uh, man, Augustine, St. Augustine, and you may be familiar with him, he wrote um, the confessions, his confessions, and he began the confessions with a phrase in there, and it went this way, it's in essence, Lord, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until we rest in you. Lord, you've made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until we rest in you. I want you to consider that um, God has created you, and he's created me for a purpose, and that the purpose is to find our satisfaction and our rest in him, and in him alone. The dilemma that we have with society today is this, that people are trying to find their rest, their faith fall in almost anything but God. And whatever they find themselves falling back to doesn't have the ability or doesn't have the willingness to protect them as only God can. There's a catechism a long time ago. It was called the Westminster Catechism. And it began with this question, a question and answer. And it said this, the chief end of man is what? The chief end of man is to, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. One of my uh, favorite authors, John Piper, he, he re redefined it and he said this, that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So these are some themes I want you to think about as we work through this because the reality is, is this, that this society is restless. There's a restlessness, there's an uneasiness, there's an impatience, there's a nagging fear that happens, an insecurity that happens with so many people in this world. So many people in this world are trying to find satisfaction and rest in things that won't fulfill them. It desperately won't. And Augustine could see that in his life because if you know anything about Augustine's testimony, Augustine fathered children out of wedlock. Augustine was a drunkard. Augustine was a godless man. And he had a mother who knew Christ as her Lord and Savior. And she desperately pleaded to God to save her son. And on one day when he was reading from the book of Romans, he read in that book. And God transformed his heart and his life and brought him to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He found rest. And he recognized that the rest that he was looking for in this world was not going to provide it for him. So I'd like to take some time just working through this passage and find out how do we find rest? Let's look here in verses one and two. I think that what God does here is first gives us a warning. There's a warning regarding rest. And he says this, he says, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have failed to reach it. 
He starts by this. He says that there's a level of fear that we should have. Fear of what? I think it's a fear that you hear the truth, but you don't enter in. Hebrews chapter 3 is a talk about the Israelites in the desert. They had come out of Egypt, they've come through the desert, and they've gone to this promised land. And that God has taken them out of bondage in Egypt. He is now taking them through the desert, through the Red Sea. He has taken them by giving them manna to eat from. He has supplied and nurtured them and guided them through this desert. And he promises to take them to the promised land, but they didn't trust him. And they heard the good news that they have a promised land that is waiting, but they failed to trust him. And what the writer here is saying is this, that the fear is that you fail to enter the rest of God. As I look out at this congregation this morning, what burdens me is this, that I look at faces of people that are sitting here today, that you sit here week after week and you hear messages of the gospel, you hear messages of the need for Christ, and you walk out of here hardened. You walk out of here saying that there is another day for salvation, but it's not today. The writer is imploring you to recognize this, that the rest is there for you today if you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no guarantee for tomorrow. See, the Israelites were coming to the entrance of the promised land and they failed to trust God. If you remember the story in Numbers 14, God had said, I've given you this land. Now I'm going to give you some spies. I want some spies to go into the land just to see some of the elements of the land. I've already given it to you. And what we see in Numbers 14 is this, that the spies came back and they said, these are big people over there, tall people. We cannot defeat them. They missed their God. They missed the fact that God is greater. They missed the fact that God has promised to give it to them. And God in his wrath said, you are not going to enter my promised land. And that whole generation of people died off before the entrance of the promised land. So what he starts here by saying is this, there is a warning here, fear lest any of you should not seem to have failed to reach it. Verse two, he says, for good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who had listened. What we find is that there is a, there's an element of people who believe God. I think there was a recent survey done, the re- recent census, that has about 80% of the American population says that they're Christian. Well, the reality is, is that 80% of the United States population, they're not born again evangelical Christians. They're not regenerated. And there's a sense of having a belief about God, but not a belief on God. There's a huge difference, believe, that I believe that there's a God versus I trust in you. The dilemma here is that the people in Egypt and now the people in the desert had a belief about God, but it wasn't united by faith. They'd heard the good news of the promised land, but they didn't trust the one that was telling them. They did not mix this good news with faith. There was no deep trust. It was just simply a half-hearted belief. What God said was this, you forfeited your rest. 
you've forfeited the opportunity to go into the promised land. It's done for you. And what God said is this, it's done for you, but my promise still remains. I'm a faithful God, and I will continue this. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, it says this, if we die with him, we will live with him. If we endure, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he will remain what? Faithful, because he can't deny himself. So God is saying this, that you have failed to trust in my promise, but my promise is not going to be broken at all. So I think the thing that I want you to hear is this. We live in a world that is restless. It's frantic. It's insecure. It's angry. There's so many fearful things. There are people that are sitting here this morning that are bound by guilt, bound by fears, bound by anxieties, bound by lust, bound And what God is saying is this, that there is a rest for you that is not just temporal rest of feeling good. It's a true rest that you can be forgiven and free. You can enter not an earthly promised land, but a heavenly promised land because of one, the Lord Jesus Christ. What does he say in Psalm 23? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me before quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear evil because what? You're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overfloweth. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, the rest that God wants to give you is not just an internal calm or an emotional rest. What he wants to give you is a rest of salvation. And these people missed it. They heard the good news and they walked out. Not today. In 1 Peter chapter 5, God says this. He says, Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself before the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Cast all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him Firm in your faith. Isn't that the type of faith? It's not just believing about, it's believing on him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout all the world. I love this verse, verse 10. For after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. See, what God wants to do is this. He wants you to know that there is a rest for your soul. It's not a temporary rest. It's not about people. It's not about places. It's not about pills. I don't know what it is that you turn to for rest and satisfaction, but God is going to be most glorifying in you when you can faithful, most satisfied in him. So step number one is this. There's a warning. There's a rest that has been promised to you And there's a rest that is available to you, but you must not just simply believe, you must trust in him. 
The second thing in verses 3 through 5, he says this, For we have, who have believed entered that rest, as he said, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of this world. There's a dilemma here. Therefore, it's probably not a good chapter break. The chapter begins with therefore, and if you get a chance later to read chapter 3, what you're going to find in chapter 3 is that the people that he's writing about, the people of Israel at the time, were a people who provoked God. They were a people who heard but didn't trust God. They were a people that were rebelled against God. They were not just simply carnal in their life. They were rebellious. They were hard-hearted. We see that in chapter 3, in verses 8 and 13 and 15, and again in chapter 4, verse 7. He talks about the fact that they had a hard heart. He talks about the fact that they were under his wrath. In chapter 3, in verses 10 and 11 and 17 and 18, he talks about the fact that they are not only hard-hearted, but they're under the wrath of God. Why? The issue is this, unbelief and disobedience. They didn't trust God, and they didn't follow God. And because of the unbelief and because of their disobedience, they didn't enter his rest, his salvation. And what the writer is saying is this, For some, they're under wrath of God. They're not free today. The sad reality is that some of you today that are listening to my voice are under the wrath of God. And what that means is this, that God looks down upon you and you're not right with him. And and worldly religion will basically say that I need to do something good. Well, after all, isn't God happy of the fact that I'm here? Well, it's good that you're here because hopefully you'll walk out if you're changed. But being here alone doesn't earn any favor with God. Maybe you put money in the offering box in the back. That doesn't offer you any favor with God. Maybe you sang powerfully earlier. That doesn't offer you rightness before God. Rightness before God comes from one who's been perfect for you. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. What he is saying is that there's some people that sit here sadly today that are under my wrath and they shall not enter my rest. And Jesus Christ lived perfectly righteous for this person. He says says the word enter here. It's interesting that the enter is, is in a present tense. And it says entering your rest. It talks about the fact that there is a progressive nature to it. That right now, today, today could be the day of your salvation. And today, for those that are under his wrath, you could be under his grace. This moment today, if you trust in him, move from just a temporal belief about God to trusting in God. That's what amazing rest can happen today for you. But then there's a now portion to that. But then there's a not yet. The not yet is that we're going to get a chance, Lord willing, to to go to heaven And there was no more tears, no more sorrow, no more death ever again. And the rest that we could have there is not just a earthly type of rest, but an eternal rest, a heavenly rest. He says in verse 4, for he has said somewhere, spoken of the seventh day in a way that, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. You remember back in Genesis chapter 2, verse 2. 
God had created day after day after day after day. And you remember what he did on the seventh day? What did God do? He rested. You know, it always got me wondering, what in the world does it mean that God rested? Because does God get tired? No. You know, Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40, it says this. Have you not known and have you not heard, verse 28, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understandings are unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths grow tired and weary. Even young men stumble and fall, but those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. So is it the fact that God gets tired? No. Is it the fact that God sits down? We talked about retirement. Somebody was talking about retirement earlier. Does God retire after he did his work? No. So God is a working God. He's working even today, but he's at rest. That blew my mind. That God can be at rest today and working today. Why? Because rest is about satisfaction. Rest is about contentment. I'm going to work tomorrow. Can I have rest in going to work tomorrow? Yes. Can I have satisfaction in going to work tomorrow? Yes. Can I have joy in going to work tomorrow? Yes. There's so many people today that are missing it. They look for rest today in their circumstances. They look for rest today in their relationships. They look for rest today in the events of their lives. And then the medical report comes and the test comes or the trial and the struggle comes. But what God says is this, that in the midst of all those trials, in the midst of your work, you can still have rest because you faithful into him. And he is worthy. Isaiah chapter 26 says this, he keeps you in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he does what? He trusts in you. That the person who recognizes that they can have real rest is the person that faith falls into God, not just simply believes about God, but believes on God. Verse 6. He said in verse 5, and again in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest, those that are not trusting him. Verse 6, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly did receive the good news failed to enter it because of what? Disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying that through David, so long after, in the words that are already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden his heart. The third thing I want you to think about is this, not only the fact that there's a warning of rest and that there is a basic nature to rest, but the third thing I want you to consider is that his rest is available to you today. That even if you sit here and you've never trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've never faith fallen into his arms, you've had a belief about God, you have a general knowledge of God, but you've never trusted him. Your belief has not been joined to trust in faith. That today, right now, as long as there's breath and as long as there's life, there's salvation available. 
He says, there remains this day, today, right now. The only thing that can prevent somebody from falling into the arms of Christ and trusting him is a lack of trust and a lack of obedience. That's it. That I failed to, to believe you, God, and I failed to trust you, and I failed to fall into the arms of your Savior. His rest is available, was available to the Israelites in the desert. His rest was available to them entering a promised land. And his rest is available to you to not just enter an earthly promised land to get land, but he wants to enter into your life. He wants to come into your life and invade your life and transform you. And then what he wants to do is to take you through this earthly journey of suffering and trials, and he wants to grow you so that you can look more and more like a son. And then what he wants to do is to take you to eternity with him in heaven. For all of eternity, he wants to give you rest. He talks here about creation rest. He talks here about David rest in David's time. But the key thing I want you to hear is this, that the rest that was talked about in creation, the rest that was talked about through Moses, and the rest that was talked about in David's time is the same rest that is here for you today if you trust in him. Verse 8 is interesting to me. He says, For if Joshua had given them rest... God would not have spoken of another day later on. Now, if you remember the story of the Israelites, out of Egypt, through the desert, to the promised land, okay? Out of Egypt, through the desert, to the promised land. In the through the desert port part, you remember who was leading them out of Egypt and through the desert? Who was that? It was Moses. Moses was leading him. And they got to the, the, the foot of the promised land. And if you remember, Moses sinned against God before the congregation. And one of the judgments was that, Moses, you're not going to be allowed to go into the promised land. So Moses had led these people for these 40 years out of Egypt, now through the desert, all the way to the foot of the promised land. But now you're not going to be allowed to go in. So who's going to lead them? Joshua's going to lead them. Joshua is going to take them to the promised land. And Joshua, I can't even imagine what he must have been feeling. Can you imagine what Joshua must have been feeling trying to fill the, the shoes of uh, Moses and taking his people into the promised land? He must have had some restlessness himself and some insecurities and some fears. And in Joshua 1, here repeating words that we just heard in Hebrews. Joshua 1, no man will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you will cause this people to inherit the land I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and courageous. Be careful to do according to the law that my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, and then you may have good success. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Don't be terrified. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. It's interesting that uh, if you look in the, he in the Greek... You translate the word Joshua in the Greek, and you know what it can be translated? Jesus. 
So the Joshua of the Old Testament took them to an earthly promised land. The Joshua, Jesus of the New Testament, can take us to the true promised land. The real freedom that Joshua can only give you a temporal rest, but Jesus can give you true rest. So I I guess if you're going to sum up some of these points here, there are some here that sit here that have a superficial belief about God, but that won't save you. Just a general knowledge of information about God doesn't save anybody. Saving is not about heart, it's not about habits. It's not about the fact that you've given. It's not about the fact that you're here. It's not about the fact that you're reading along. Salvation is internal. It's about a heart change. It's about a radical change of your heart by the work of God. Salvation is not based on your work or what you do. The Israelites did a lot of work, but they failed. I won't turn to this passage, but in Matthew 7, Jesus gives an interesting parable. He talks about these people who said, Lord, Lord, and they listed out all these things that they've done for him, and God says, depart from me. I never knew you. So there's an element where some people can have a lot of habits that seem like they're Christian, but if their heart hasn't been transformed and their knee hasn't bound to Christ alone, they're not saved. I guess another thing that I want you to consider is this, that some people have a false sense of peace in their lives, that they're saved. But the reality is that your faith falling into this world, you're not going to have any real assurance, none at all. And the only other thing I want you to consider from these passages that we just looked at, that saving faith will lead to change in your life. There's some people that have professed faith in Christ for decades and their life hasn't changed at all. And the warning is this, that they did not enter his rest because they didn't trust him and they didn't obey him. Saving faith should produce change in your life. And if there isn't change in your life, then you need to be going back and saying, am I truly saved? And the beauty of today is this. Salvation is there for you today if you turn and trust him. So let's look at these last couple of verses before we close. In Hebrews 4 again, he talked about Joshua. If Joshua had given them a rest... God would not have spoken of another day. And then he says, verse nine, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for his people. It's still available to you. It's still as as long as you're alive, the Sabbath rest is available to you. He says, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his work as God has done. What work have you rested from? I still got to go to work, right? What he's saying is the work that you've rested from is the work of trying to earn your salvation. It's done. You don't have to do that anymore. You don't have to try to please God in order to earn salvation. It has been done for you. He has lived righteous for you. He has done it for you. You just need to faith fall into his arms and trust in his righteousness and you can be right before God. And then he says this in verse 11. This is the challenge I want you to hear. He says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. The the first two words, let us, kind of gives me a community feel. It, It gives me a sense that 
we need to be doing this together. It's not about isolation. One of the things that restlessness wants to do for you is it wants to isolate yourself, isolate you from other people. It wants to break you away. And what he's saying is this, that the rest that you can have needs to be done in community. I go to my wife. She's my best friend. I go to my, my accountability partner, and I, I, I tell him about the struggles that I have in my life. I, I have friends that are people in my life that I can turn to, that can challenge me, that can help me to wrestle and to go back to where the real rest is going to come. Do you have somebody in your life that can do that for you? That has to be a community feel, but he says, let us. But then he says, let us do what? Strive. What's the striving here? The striving is clearly not about being saved. The striving is through your salvation to grow in your sanctification. God says that God has begun this work in you and that you are coming along by the power of the Holy Spirit to hear him and to grow in him. There should be a focused faith. There should be a bold belief. But that needs to be connected to obedience. And if you do not have that, you will be restless until we rest in you. I wonder what it is that hinders your rest today. What is it that gets in your vision? What event happens in your life? What person? What is it that takes your focus off of the rest that can only come from Christ? Is it a person? Is it a situation? Is it an event? I don't know what it is that takes your vision off of it. But you won't have real rest unless you rest in him. So I wonder who's your God. Is your God greater than those struggles? I believe Jesus is greater. This whole book of Hebrews is about the fact that Jesus is greater. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than the temple. He's greater than the sacrificial system. He's greater than the struggle that you have today that is keeping your rest from resting in him. So who is your God? See, I believe in a God who, who is available right now for you. I believe in a God who is beautiful, and I believe in a God who cares about you and is compassionate. I believe in a God who is a deliverer. That's what the scriptures talk about. The scriptures talk about a God who is everlasting and wants to take you to everlasting life. It talks about a God who wants to free you and to forgive you. It talks about a God who is so gracious and holy. He's invincible. He's immutable. He is just. He is king of kings. He's lord of lords. He is no match for the thing that takes your rest away. Taste and see that the Lord is good. The rest that God gives you can't be taken away by our failures because the rest that he wants to give you is not temporal. The rest that he wants to give you is salvation. Some of you are trying to earn rest or temporal satisfaction in this world. What God wants to promise you is a rest that he earned through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ at the cross. It's a rest for your soul. And on the up and down days of your life, which are ton, you could still have a rest because I am faith falling not by my own strength and my own ability. I'm faith falling into the arms of the one who lived righteous for me and for you. There's a rest from trying to save ourselves. There's a rest from trying to merit our salvation. There's a rest from trying to please God. It's done. It is finished. 
it's interesting that he ends the chapter with, he goes right from here to talk about the word of God. He says the word of God is sharper and uh, is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And I wondered why he did that. And I think the reason is this. We need to be going to the word because the word exposes us. It tells us who he is. It tells us who we are and exposes us. And then he ends the chapter with these wonderful words. Can you hear these with me? Since we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us, community feel, hold fast, that goes to that belief, faith, fall, to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one with every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of trouble. I ask you this morning, will you enter his rest? It's not going to be done by your personal performance. It's not going to be done by your pedigree. It's not going to be done by your passion. It's not going to be done by your power. Entering his rest comes from the fact that I recognize that I'm a sinner and I need a savior. I can't do it. It's recognizing my guilt and it recognizes I need grace. And what God does for me and for you, if you trust in him, is he allows you to faith fall into his arms and he won't let you go. And that when you enter his rest by the personal work of the Holy Spirit, the old is gone and the new has come. What you, Christ, have completed is completely done. We're heirs with Christ. The victory is won. What you've complete is completely done. Who are you faith falling into today? Father, we, um, we recognize that this world can be extremely restless. Father, we are restless until we rest in your son. Father Gustin was right. You have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until we rest in you. Father, I pray that maybe some people that were very comfortable may be a little bit uncomfortable today. Because the last thing I want to see is that somebody is so comfortable but they're heading to a path away from you. And I pray today for those that were disquieted and disturbed before, maybe they can recognize that there is a rest for me. I can find it. So Lord, help us to see that um, it's not about what we do. It's about what your son has done. That he is righteous and he took that place for us. Father, this morning as we go to the communion service, I pray that we would see um, your son in a new way. Help us to see with new eyes and a new heart. Help us to bow the knee to the one that deserves it. Jesus, our Savior. Jesus, our rest. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.